Hey, Pastor Sean here. Thank you so much for checking out our sermons online. I want to let you know whether this is your first time watching one of our sermons or you're just reviewing a sermon that you've heard here on the campus. I will welcome you, but I do want to let you know we have a core value at Coastal Community Church, and that core value is that you find a local church to be a part of. And so uh, if this, hopefully this sermon series or this sermon is supplementing your spiritual growth, but I want to encourage you to find a, a local church. If you live in the Yorktown, Virginia area, we would love for you to visit us. We have three services, uh, 8 o'clock, 9, 30, and 11, and we meet at 101 Village Avenue. Thank you so much for checking out this sermon online. I hope it encourages your walk and your journey with Jesus Christ. That is our coming sermon series. Not next week, but the following week. We're going to be doing a four-week series to encourage you to be strong in Christ's might. And we're going to talk about how to do that through Ephesians chapter 6. So I hope you'll join us. I know next week's spring break, and so maybe you guys are traveling after today. But in two weeks on the 15th, starting a new series, I really want you to come. And uh, hopefully that whets your appetite. Do me a favor, get your note sheet out. Okay, there's a note sheet in your bulletin. And, uh, and get your Bible out and turn with me to John chapter 11. And uh, we're going to look at some crazy outlandish claims that Jesus Christ made. If you don't have a Bible, um, there's probably one in a chair in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, do me a favor, take that one with you, okay? That's our gift to you. We would love for you to have a copy of the Word of God, especially if you commit to reading it on a regular basis, all right? I, uh, in my parenting, I, especially when my kids were younger, tended uh, to overstate things, which means I lied. And so, um, and you, you guys did too, I'm sure. Um, so, you know, you can't get your kid to eat your vegetables, right? And so you come in with this, you know, this little gem. Uh, if you don't eat your vegetables, guys, um, you're never going to play in the NBA, right? And now they're older and they're like, Dad, I ate my vegetables. I'm still not in the NBA. I'm like, well, the NBA discriminates against five, nine people that aren't very athletic, okay? So... <laughs> Um, that's why you're not in the NBA. But you said, you know, I overstated. How many of y'all did this one? If you don't clean up your room, I'm going to take away TV for the rest of your life. Right? You did that one. You overstated. By the way, uh, times changed during my kids' upbringing. Remember, how many of y'all took away TV? Right? That doesn't help you with this, right? Like, oh, it's fun. I'll just Hulu it or whatever, you know? Like, I'm fun. And so we had to change our language to electronics. We're taking away electronics, you know, you don't get any of it. And then, so we, we had to do that. I overstate when I, I make an amazing um, banana cake, and I'm, uh, it's my mom's recipe. I'm not humble about it, okay? It's amazing. And if I bring it to a party, I'd be like, if you eat some of this banana cake, it will change your life, okay? And I just overstate. This morning, we're going to look at John chapter 11, and uh, it's this wonderful, wonderful story that I hope that you'll read later today when you're on your own, the whole story. Uh, but it's the story of Lazarus, and in this story, uh, Jesus makes a, three claims that we're going to look at this morning, three statements that, that when you, uh, from a first blush, it's like, man, if that's not true, this, is, this might be the grandest of overstatements. Uh, and so we're going to unpack that, but the story is of a guy named Lazarus, and Jesus was friends with Lazarus, and, and, um, and so, and, and he's friends with Lazarus' siblings, Martha and Mary, and, and Lazarus gets sick uh, to the point of death, and, and word comes to Jesus. Jesus is in another town, and word comes to Jesus, hey, your friend Lazarus is sick to the point of death. And so Jesus does what any good friend would do, especially a guy that can heal the sick, right? He says, well, let's stay here for a couple more weeks. Let's not yet 
or I mean, a couple more days. Let's not go visit him because he's not sick to the point of death. He hasn't died yet. In fact, check this out. I want you to see this because it's so key to the story. In John chapter 11, verse 4, it says, But when Jesus heard this, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and he loved Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. In other words, Jesus, who had the ability, let Lazarus die. And that's crazy. And finally, after Lazarus has died, he says to his disciples, hey, let's go. Let's go now. Let's go to the village. Let's go where Lazarus and his sisters are. And he goes and he travels. And so as the word gets back to Mary and Martha, that Jesus is on the way. And for whatever reason, we don't know, Mary stays in the house, but Martha comes out to meet Jesus on the way. And she kind of says, you know, in a kind but I think challenging way, hey, if you would have been here, my brother would still be alive. And it's in this conversation and it's in these contexts that Jesus makes three outlandish claims in John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, Jesus said to her, Martha, she, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he looks at Martha and he says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Now, I'm going to give the story away. Jesus ends up raising his friend Lazarus back to life. And uh, in fact, in John chapter 11, if you're, not, if you're new to, to Christianity and you want to start memorizing Scripture, John eleven thirty five 35 is your place to start, right? Shortest verse of the Bible. We can all go out here with this one memorized. Jesus, what did what? Yeah, that Jesus wept, right? And so, which is the great question. Why was Jesus crying if he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead? But we don't know, really. But, but here we go. Okay, so, he, so that's the story. And Jesus, in the middle of this story, makes these outlandish claims. So let's take a moment here and let's, like, let's just kind of unpack these three outlandish claims of Jesus Christ, what I call overstatements, unless they're true. Overstatement number one, outlandish claim number one, Jesus says, I am the resurrection. The word resurrection means to bring back to life. For me, the word resurrection means hope. I'm going to come back to that in a minute, but Jesus claims, I am the resurrection to bring the dead back to life. When my kids were younger, I remember, and I want to park here for a minute because I really want you to catch the gravity of Christ's statement. When my kids were younger, I used to take them fishing, right? And when, when you have a couple young kids, there's nothing worse than a day of fishing, right? Uh, some of you parents know what I mean, because you never actually get the fish. You know, you get the one kid baited in the water, and then you go over to the other kid, get that one baited in the water. By the time you come back to the first one, he's got a crow's nest of line. Like, how did you get all tangled up in 10 seconds? You know, I was just over there. And so, and so my one kid, he got his line in the water, and then my other kid, I get him in the water, and I come back to the other kid, and I realize he doesn't know that he has a fish on the line. Now, this happens to be my tender-hearted kid, right? My oldest son, he's very tender-hearted towards animals. And so I realized he's got this fish on the line. And he re- I said, dude, you got a fish on the line. You got to reel it in. He reels in. And he reels in this little guppy about this big, right? And because he didn't put, reel it in right away, he didn't set the hook, this little guppy had swallowed the hook down into its stomach, which is a death sentence for a fish. And I, I realized, man, this, he, he's killed this fish. And, and what am I going to tell him, right? So we get the hook out and, and the fish is dead. And, and, and we let it go in the water. 
because I didn't want to tell him the truth, okay? And you know what dead fish do, right? They, they float. Daddy, why is he floating? Hey, he's just enjoying the day, son. It's a sunny day. You, you can see my whole parenting is a web of lies, you know? And so, he's he floating, beautiful day, you know? Oh, he died. I, the, the children in the room are like, what? You know, <laughs> happy Easter. Um, <laughs> One of the things I was telling somebody before the service that we do as a pastor, I think you touch probably a little bit more than most people. You touch a lot of funerals. You know, it's kind of a regular part of your, your routine, I guess, as a pastor. One of the things I do when I do a funeral is I always make sure I get the person that I'm doing the funeral for, I get their obituary. And obituary is a fascinating thing to me. You know, I mean, here it is, the newspaper. And some of y'all have gone through the difficulty this year of writing one for a loved one, right? You go through, and, and here in this obituary, you get a picture, and you get three to five lines to put around someone's life. Like, I see it. The obituary. Everybody, get, everybody in this room is going to get one one day. I don't know if you think about that. I guess because of what I do, I think about that frequently. I remember many years ago, there was a commercial that, you know, in hindsight, it's kind of funny, but there was a commercial out where there's, there's an old guy and a middle-aged guy, and they're standing over the grave of a friend, and you could tell they're probably two investment brokers or bankers, and the younger guy says to the older guy, how much do you think he left behind? The older guy looked at the middle-aged guy and said, all of it. He left all of it behind. You see, some of you in this room, man, that's what's captivating your army. I got to make money. I got to get more stuff. I got to, you know, get all the things that the world's enticing me to get. And, and I'm, I'm working, I'm working, I'm working, I'm working, I'm working. And yet the Bible says, listen, Psalm chapter 90 says this. He says, your days are numbered. The person lives 80 or at most 90 years. And we, a wise person, would number their days. None of us gets out of this thing called life alive. Jesus shows up at a funeral, and he makes an outlandish claim. I'm the resurrection, he says. You know what's fascinating? By the way, I'm going to trace a rabbit trail here for a minute. Here's what's fascinating to me about this story. If you read John chapter 12, I've been reading through John for Holy Week. If you read through John chapter 12, Jesus raises Lazarus from the grave, okay? So I want you to imagine for a minute, all of us knows that we don't get out of this thing called life alive. We know that. This guy shows up on the scene, raises a dead man back to life. And now so people are starting to follow Jesus because of this. And the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, they're so mad at Jesus that they seek to put both him and Lazarus to back to death in John chapter 12. How foolish is that? I'm going to die one day. Here's a guy that can do something about it. Let's kill him. That's a logical conclusion, Right? I'm going to push you by the end of the sermon. That's what we do oftentimes. You just trample over this story like, huh, doesn't make any impact on my life. The Apostle Paul said this about Jesus in 1 Thessalonians in death and resurrection. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus both died and he rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. This is the reason you're here this morning. The reason this is a big deal in Christianity, what we call Easter Sunday, I would prefer to call Resurrection Sunday, where dead things 
things come back to life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. Isn't that great news? Death doesn't have final say over Sean Brown. Jesus Christ does. 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul writes, man, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Paul is mocking death because Jesus Christ said, I'm the resurrection. It's an outlandish claim, unless it's true. Number two, Second thing Jesus says, it's outlandish. He says, I am the life. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and I am the life. I think what Jesus is talking about here is not eternal life because he gets to that in just a minute. I think what he's talking about is the life we live. He's talking about us having purpose in this life where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And by the way, doesn't that seem to be out of order? Don't, shouldn't Jesus have said, I am the life and I am the resurrection? I mean, that, was, that seems to be the process. Why does he reverse the order? Because he reverses the order because it is the resurrection that gives this life purpose. If you reverse the order, then there's no purpose. This way gives purpose. Why? Because then I know, man, my life has an eternal diff- makes an eternal difference. I can use my time, talent, and treasure for something that will outlast me because Jesus is the resurrection and he is the life. And you're probably going to have to look at this on screen. This is a little game that I had growing up uh, as a kid. It's a, it's a puzzle, essentially, and it's called Drive You Nuts, okay? And so the idea is it's a nut and a bolt, okay? And so it's got a six-sided nut, and each of these is numbered one to six. And so the goal of this little game is when you put all of the nuts onto the bolt that um, every number will line up perfectly. So in other words, a one will be touching a one, a two will be touching a two, a three will be touching a three, all the way across the puzzle. Ones, twos, threes, fours, fives, and sixes are all touching. It sounds really easy, but it's incredibly difficult, and it takes hours and hours to solve this puzzle. And uh, I've had this game since I was a kid, and I've probably only solved it two or three times. But here's what I've learned about solving this puzzle. In order to solve this puzzle, you have to put the right one in the middle. If you don't put the right one in the middle, the rest of them don't ever line up. You can get all the way to the final piece, and it doesn't line up. You have to have the right one in the middle. Now, here's the point I want to make out of this this morning. I want you to imagine this is a picture of your life, and these are all the pieces of your life. Man, there's finances, and there's job, and there's education, and there's family relationships, wife, spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend. There's children, if you have those. There's all these pieces. There's even church and religion and Jesus, maybe. And I'm going to tell you that until you get the right piece in the middle, it doesn't make sense. See, some of you are running through life, and here's what you have in the middle, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Man, if I could just get in a relationship, someone loved me, you know, and I just, you know, person, you put that person in the middle. And the problem with that is no person is perfect, and every person's going to leave you incomplete from time to time. You're going to let you down. You're going to get in a fight. It's not going to work out, blah, 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 right? And so now you're stressed because you got the wrong thing in the middle, Or maybe for you, it's like, man, I just want to make a lot of money. I mean, if I can get all the money. And so you put 
finances in the middle. And what happens is when that's at the center of your life, the rest of it doesn't make sense because what happens when you're at work and you have a bad week or a bad month or a bad quarter or a bad year or you have a recession or the stock market doesn't do quite what you hoped your investments would do and suddenly you got the wrong thing in the middle and then the rest of it's not making any sense. Man, I'm not getting along with my wife and the kids and yada, 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 yada because you have the wrong thing in the middle. Some of you are here this morning and you're like, yeah, I believe in Jesus and I kind of do the church thing, but it's kind of on the periphery. And what's in the middle is something else. And so you're kind of going through life like, yeah, why is it, you know, I was told if I had Jesus, like everything would make sense to me. And it's not making sense because you've got Jesus on the periphery instead of Jesus in the middle. Because Jesus said, I am the life. I'm your purpose. Why do we sing? Why do we raise hands? Why do we get all enthusiastic? Because, because that's, as Christians, it's our way of saying, Christ, you're in the middle. Because you're the life. And I believe that about you. The outrageous claims of Jesus Christ, where he says, let's do this together. I am the resurrection, and I am the what? I was only half of you, and if you all don't speak up, I'll go longer, okay? I'll keep going. I can't go longer. I have another service. Shucks. Okay, here we go. Let's do it together. I am the resurrection. I am the life. I'm the life. That's right. That's what you, these are outrageous claims. I'm going to skip the next verse, Shandy. I want to go to number three. The third thing that Jesus says is outlandish. He says, I'm the resurrection, I'm the life. The final thing, third thing here is Jesus says, he gives eternal life. Jesus gives eternal life. John chapter 11, verse 26, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he looks, he looks at uh, Martha and he says, Martha, do you believe this? Three outlandish claims of Jesus Christ. I am the resurrection. I am the life. And I give eternal life. Several years ago, in fact, probably over 10 years ago now, there was a fantastic movie out uh, about some missionaries. And I would, in fact, it might be a great Easter movie for your family to watch. I don't, I don't know if it's dreams or not, but it's called The End of the Spear. And the story is about five missionaries from America that God laid it on their heart to go reach this tribe in Ecuador. And this was a completely unreached tribe, very secluded area. Uh, little was known about this tribe except one thing. Whenever an outsider came into the tribe, the tribe was very violent, and they would often put any outsiders to death when they came into this, this village to, to, for any reason. And so these five men decided they wanted to not only go into the village, they wanted to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. They wanted to make sure that these people in Ecuador had the opportunity to have eternal life. They wanted to make sure these people had the opportunity to, to know that Jesus was the resurrection, Jesus was the life, and Jesus offered eternal life. And so the movie, The End of the Spear, kind of centers on one of these five missionaries. He's the pilot of a plane by the name of Nate Saint. And so Nate Saint used his, his plane to begin to make contact with this remote village. By He would circle the plane around the village, drop a long line with a bucket, and they would deliver gifts to this village. And this went on for quite a long period of time until the missionaries feel like, hey, we've made enough of a relational impact. We can now land the plane on a riverbank and begin to make personal contact with this village in Ecuador. 
And so on the day that Nate Saint and some of the other missionaries, and by the way, one of the other missionaries is a very famous missionary by the name of Jim Elliott. There's a great book out there called Through Gates of Splendor. If you want to read that, it tells the story. I would encourage you to read that. But Nate Saint, he's loading up his plane with Jim Elliott and the other three missionaries, and they're loading up the plane. And Nate Saint's son brings his shotgun that he owns because he's afraid. He knows the, the reputation of this village. And he says, Dad, why don't you use this to protect yourself in case they decide that they turn on you and they want to kill you? And Nate Saint responds like this. I want you to hear this. He says, no, I will not shoot them because I'm ready for heaven and they're not. Man, having an eternal perspective, understanding that Jesus is not only my resurrection, Jesus is my life, man. Jesus grants eternal life. It changes everything about your life. Everything. And suddenly, my 80 or 90 years, man, I hold on loosely because it really doesn't matter if, if my life is cut short. Because here's the deal. You can cut my time on earth short, but you don't cut my existence short because Jesus gives eternal life. Isn't that great news? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6, the author of Hebrews is writing to a church that's being persecuted because they're Christians. And he says, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What can man do to us if we're in Christ? Nothing. Why? Because God, through Christ, grants eternal life. Three outlandish statements of Christ. Let's do them together. Ready? I am the resurrection. I am the and I grant what? Eternal life, right? These are the claims that Jesus makes. So he looks at Martha and he says, listen, Martha, I'm the resurrection, I'm the life, I bring eternal life. And then he looks at Martha and he says, do you believe this? It's my final point this morning. Jesus Christ demands a response Jesus Christ demands a response. It is not enough to sit here on an Easter Sunday morning and kind of look at these claims and go, well, that's not, he's, that preacher, he's not, he sure gets feisty up there, doesn't he? <laughs> well, what I want you to leave here with today is this question Jesus Christ demands a response. How have I responded? Jesus says in John 11, Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he looks at Martha and he says, do you believe this? Martha, do you believe this? And I could go around the room. Bill. Actually, Bill, you're over here. Bill, do you believe this? I know you do. Joe and Bob, Jill, Kathy, Mary. See, Jesus demands a response. Do you believe this? The Apostle Paul, he's so sure of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that he says, listen, if Christ is not raised from the dead, go do something else. We're not talking about dead religion here this morning. We're talking about a guy who came to earth and made three outlandish claims. I'm the resurrection, I'm the life, and I grant eternal life. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, 
How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then why is that guy up there yelling at us during his preaching? Because his preaching's in vain and your faith is in vain. And we are found to be misrepresenting God. Why? Because we testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is what? What's it say, church? You're wasting your time. For you're still in your sins. And then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Listen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ demands a response. And here's the choices. It's either belief or unbelief. There's no in-between. Jesus Christ demands a response. It's either belief or it's unbelief. You're either going to leave here today and say, I'm in or I'm not in. I'm a believer or I'm an unbeliever. I'm a follower or I'm not a follower. Jesus is either who he said he is, and he's able to do what he said he is able to do, or he is a crazy lunatic Please do not leave here today saying Jesus was a good moral teacher or he was a prophet. That's what I believe about Jesus. That, that stirs me up and makes me so frustrated because he said, I am the resurrection, I am the life, and the only way to have eternal life is through me. He either is that or he's a lunatic, but don't make him out to be just a good prophet or a moral teacher. And the response is either belief or unbelief. And by the way, the Bible, it's not calling you to believe in, in, in the way you might believe in the tooth fairy. I know some of you have like visions of Dwayne Johnson in your mind right now. I, I do as well, right? No, Paul, again, I, for time's sake, I'm not going to park here. You need to read 1 Corinthians 15 for yourself. Paul, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, what we believe in is rooted in history. It's a historical fact. He says in, in 1 Corinthians 15, he actually starts building the case for the importance of the resurrection by saying Jesus appeared to many, many people, including 500 people all at once. And he says, listen, they're still alive. You can go ask them, okay? He's daring the Corinthian church to disprove the historical fact of the resurrection. And so Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, was raised from the dead, and this authenticates these outlandish claims that he made. Which, by the way, they're not outlandish if they're true. It's outlandish to tell your kids, man, if you eat your vegetables, you play in the NBA. That's outlandish. Okay? But it's not outlandish if it's true. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus Christ of Nazareth is my hero. He's my hero. He's my only hope. Because when a man steps out of his own grave, he is anything that he says he is, and he can do anything that he says he will do. Jesus Christ is the hope that changed my world. During uh, 
the old news program, 60 Minutes, Dan Rather one time interviewed the former CEO of General Electric, a guy by the name of Jack Welsh. Jack is an um, interesting guy, he, smart guy, great leader. And so Dan Rather asked Jack Welsh, what's the toughest question that you've ever been asked? And how about that? How would you like to answer, ask the question to a CEO of a publicly traded Fortune 500 question, company, right? What would you ask him? And he said, what was the toughest question you ever been asked? And Jack Welsh said this. He said, do you think you'll go to heaven it's the toughest question Jack had ever been asked. So Dan asked, Dan rather asked him, well, how did you, how did you, how'd you answer the question? This is what Jack Welsh said. He said, it's a long answer. But I told the person, I said, if caring about people, if, if giving it your all, if, if being a f- great friend counts. And then he paused, he said, despite the fact I've been divorced a couple times and, and no one's proud of that and then, I haven't done everything right all the time. Despite that, I think I got a shot, he said. What Jack Welsh was saying is, I've been pretty good. I've done some good things, and I think my good things will get me into heaven. I want to be very clear because that is a misunderstanding of the Bible in this culture. Please, 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 please don't leave here today thinking the Bible teaches that if you're good, you go to heaven. It doesn't teach that. We already live in a place where people do good things. If this was heaven, we'd know it, right? And I think most of us go, this isn't it. Here's what the Bible teaches. To be To go to heaven, you have to be perfect. I want you to pause and chew on that for a minute. The Bible doesn't teach you have to be good to go to heaven. The Bible teaches you have to be perfect to go to heaven. And if you're honest this morning with yourself and with others, and if you're not sure, ask your spouse, okay? (laughs) They'll let you know you're not perfect. So where does that leave us? Where does that leave the human race? How are we going to go to heaven? You see, Jack Welsh got it wrong. It's not a long answer. It's actually quite a short answer. We're in need of saving. We're in need of saving from the penalty of our sin. The Bible says this about our sin and our rebellion against God's ways and God's righteousness. It says, the wages of sin is what? It's death. It's earned us something. It's death. There's two kinds of death according to the Scriptures. There's physical death and there's spiritual death. So none of us gets out of this thing called life alive, but then there's a second death that we can avoid by knowing Christ. And so here's what we need. We need a Savior who lived a perfect life without sin. Jesus did that. We need a Savior who paid the wage of sin Jesus did that when He died on the cross, and God poured out His hatred and His wrath for sin on His Son, Jesus Christ. And we need a Savior who authenticates His outlandish claims of, I am the resurrection, I am the life, and I give eternal life to those who believe. And how do you authenticate that? 
by raising from the dead. And so how do you get to heaven? It's when you repent of your sin and you believe in Jesus Christ. And when you do that, here's, here's the deal, ready? There's an exchange that takes place. The perfection of Jesus is now gifted to you by grace through faith. So now you get to go to heaven. Why? Because you're perfect. Because you behave perfectly? No. Because the perfection of Jesus is gifted to you by grace alone, through faith alone. Isn't that great news, church? And so Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He looks at Martha and he says, do you believe this? I suspect that most of you in this room would say, yes, absolutely. Without a shadow of a doubt, I believe that. But there's some of you, man, where where Jesus has been on the periphery or not involved at all. I want to tell you, eternal life is not guesswork this morning. It's a sure thing. When you call yourself a sinner, you repent of your sin, and you believe in the person and work of Christ, and you put him in the center of your life, the promises of Jesus stand as true today as they did for Martha and Mary. I'm the resurrection and the life. Martha responded in John chapter 11, verse 27, when she said, Yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ. You're the Son of God. That could be you today. And don't leave here today with salvation and eternal life being guesswork. It doesn't have to be that way. The resurrection of Jesus Christ authenticates his claims as the Son of God. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. If you're here this morning, man, you... You came in unsure, and as I've been talking, you go, you know what, I I want to have Christ in the center of my life. I've been doing things my own way, and I'm weary and tired, and I want to know the freedom of having a Savior. I want to offer you a prayer. It's nothing magical in the prayer, but it's just an opportunity to do business with God who created you and has a purpose for you, and the purpose is in knowing Christ who is the resurrection, and He is the life, and He gives eternal life. And so I'm going to give you this prayer as a guide. You can pray it in your mind, but pray it to your Creator. Heavenly Father, I acknowledge today that I've lived my life not believing that Jesus is the Son of God. I acknowledge that I've been doing life my own way. Today, as best I know how, I I turn from doing life my own way. As best I understand it, I trust in your Son, Jesus Christ, as my salvation from my sin. I trust that He is who He claimed to be. I believe that He is the resurrection and the life and grants eternal life. So I confess that I'm a sinner. I need to be saved from the penalty of my sin And Jesus is my Savior. And it's in Jesus' most precious name I pray. Amen.